This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Get a chair, grab a seat, or we'll sweep you off your feet. We move, we groove, you got mail. Ease your legs, rest a while, all you gotta do is smile. We're swell, can't you tell you got mail? When the show begins, you better hold on real tight. Or before you know it, you'll be high as a kite. Take a break, settle down, we're the only show in town. It's our own, don't you know you got mail? Give it up, don't think twice, we're a hurricane on ice. What the hell, give a yell, ring your bell, show and tell. Mademoiselle, give a smell, you got Mel. You've got Mel. <laughs> and Mel has the children's book author and editor, Elaine K. Christian. I have to work on that name. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it, Because it's not a Jewish name, you know. Right. <laughs> well, it is in a sense because Jesus was one of us way back when. Yeah. It's so great to have you on You've Got Mel. You are a person that has many hats. You have the writer's hat. You sent me some of your lovely books. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, you have your life story. And you're also a uh, an editor at a uh, at a publishing house in texas mm -hmm. um the name keeps changing or you keep combining with other publishers the name now is blue the name has always been blue well press but it's an imprint of clearport publishing which means clearport publishing owns it um and then we do the books for blue well press under the clear clearport um, name so they do all the business end and all of that and we just make books but in full disclosure I it has not been announced yet but I feel like it's appropriate to announce it because I don't want to come across as inauthentic <laughs> um, and my replacement is up on the Clear Fork website I will be stepping down from the position um, and moving on to bigger and better and more exciting things while doing a little bit of of uh, self-care too. <laughs> so. Okay, and uh, I wish you good health. And um, what? Uh, so, so you're you're you're. Can you disclose what you're going to do now? I am quite excited. I've got different things in the hopper that I'm considering, and um, I have to de decide: do I want to do them or not? Um, and that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of in transition uh, again. I'm kind of jumping the gun here because it hasn't been announced. The decision was made quite some time ago. Um, I will be working through the end of May to get out the last three or two 
give the last three picture books a good head start um, for 2022. And then someone else is going to pick up that. Um, they're actually going to pick up earlier for submissions because I'm not doing submissions anymore. Um, and then I'm going to, one first thing I'm going to do, I think, is take a little bit of a hiatus and uh, just take care of myself a little bit and regroup and, and that type of thing. And then I'm going to go, I, I can't sit still. I'll always have to, have to do something else, but time will tell. Okay. I, I will be very excited to hear what your next uh, steps are. Thank you. And, and and also, so it's kind of it's kind of strange because you and and some of the other people I've interviewed, uh, you publish on the same in the same publisher that you also are the editor of the publisher where you publish where you are the editor of where you right publish. right yeah it's nice to have that to have your foot in the door somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Very okay, nice. So we'll talk about that. Let's start out with your life. Okay. Tell us about your life, Elaine, and, and how you became a children's book writer. Let's start with that. Okay. Um, well, how far back do we go? <laughs> um, as far as just start kind of in the writing area. You, you so, can go back to the early 1800s. I have all day. <laughs> uh, well, I wanted to say I was born in a log cabin, which I think it probably was. I was born in uh, Colorado. And uh, from there, we lived in, I believe we lived in Minnesota and Alabama. My um, mom was from Minnesota. My dad was from Alabama. And then um, we moved to the city of Chicago when I was five years old. And that's where I was raised. Um, that's where I met my husband. That's where my daughter was born. That's where all my family, most of my family remains, um, most of my friends. <laughs> we moved from there in uh, 2005 uh right after we learned that our one and only granddaughter was going to be born so that was kind of sad um and then we moved from to that was to raleigh north carolina then we moved to texas which is where i plan to stay i i am a i think i was meant to be born here so i love texas uh but that move with the granddaughter that was my first real push to write a book I had always, so wait, how, how old is your granddaughter today and where is she? She is 15 and has her driver's permit and <laughs> foot taller than grandma and just a beautiful young lady. She's just, I'm very proud of her. Um, how, how far away is she from you? She's in Chicago, in the Chicagoland suburbs. So it's, uh, we, we usually drive there. We kind of like doing road trips. So we'll spend, I don't know, uh, maybe six hours, oh, seven or eight, I think it might be about nine hours on the road the first day, then we stop in St. Louis, and then we go the rest of the way. So it's a two-day trip, but you can make it probably in about 13 hours if you were dedicated. Um, it's a couple-hour flight, maybe two-and-a-half-hour flight, but with all the rigmarole you have to go through with the security and everything, it takes just as long as if you drove, so, but, uh, yeah, so that prompted my first book. Like I said, I, I, I had always written. I, I wrote in different uh, job positions. Um, I wrote poetry. I wrote just for myself. I tried doing some magazine writing with no luck. Um, but I just wrote the first book for her. It was meant to be a birthday gift. I illustrated it, which is not, it's not a good illustration because I'm not an illustrator. But for my baby, it didn't matter, you know. 
But when we gave it to her at her birthday party, everybody started crying saying, you have to publish this. You have to publish this. And my husband started pushing me. And it was like, I don't know the first thing about publishing. What's that? So, so, so Ellen, let's, let's hold this thought for a moment. Okay. Because you also raised a daughter. Yep. And it didn't come to you to write children's books for your daughter. No, I didn't. I, I think it's because I was um, busy working, uh, busy trying to have careers, busy trying to be a mom, a wife, a daughter, a sister, a professional, and it just, yeah. And, and I was a very young mother. Uh, I was 19 when my daughter was born. So I was busy playing with my new little doll, basically. <laughs> so it never even occurred to me to write books for her. Okay. However, my yeah. sister did encourage me to. Um, we're very close. And she, one time we were, we traveled together a couple of times and we were looking at books, picture books. And she said, I think you're going to write a picture book someday. And I was like, maybe I will. And that planted the seed. And I think that was part of it too, was that uh, once she said that, because like I said, I had always been writing and, and I think that kind of planted a seed. And then when my little baby was born, I was like, well, but also I was motivated because the book is about how you can be close to someone who's miles away from you. And so I wanted, I wanted to be sure that she always knew that my husband and I were always close to her, no matter how many miles were between us. So that heartbreak, I think, too, is is what drove me. And that that was your first uh, published book. My first published book. And you can you show it to us and brag about it? <laughs> and it won a couple of awards. It won the um, Independent Publishers Silver Award and the Mom's Choice prestigious Mom's Choice Gold Medal. Um, so that was really exciting. First, first book out of the gate. Um, here's show you some pictures inside. What's that, Elaine? Let's and let's. And you read it to kids in school. They like to count the butterflies on the end papers. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, Let, let's get back to that after we talked about your childhood. Okay. Because you, I'm going to get all far blunted here, and you don't speak okay. Yiddish. Okay. Um, so, what was the five-year-old Elaine like? Did you read a lot of children's books? Did you have some unfinished business that you would come back to as an adult? Uh, I did not have a lot of books. I honestly don't remember owning books. Um, I remember having some stories read to me like Little Red Riding Hood, Three Little Pigs, Three Bears, that type of thing. Uh, in school, then we did... Uh, the Dick and Jane books, that's how we learned to read, was based on memorization. Um, and I really didn't become a reader until, oh gosh, I wouldn't say I was close to 30. Yeah. Um, I wasn't a very academic person. <laughs> um, I still struggled to, to read, but I love reading, but it was not an easy thing for me to do. Um, so maybe learning, um, some learning issues there. Not the best school in the world either. <laughs> but, um, and I think it was Plan of the Cave Bears was the first book that grabbed my attention. And then I found uh, Stephen King. 
and I could devour Stephen King. And then I started finding other people and other people, and, and I finally became a reader. And now, sadly, most of the time, I'm either reading craft books or children's books because that's, you know, so to sit down and read, like, say, a Stephen King or Robert Patterson or something like that, or James Patterson or something like that, I usually don't find the time. I, I, when I read now and I have time to read children's books, that's my best. Yeah. I, that's what I love to read most right, the, right now. Um, so, but when you were a mom and, and, and your, your little daughter, did you read the children's books to her? Oh, yes. She had lots of books. They, they were mostly the little golden books because that's all we could afford. But she would come to the grocery store with me and every grocery store trip, she would, if she, unless she threw a tantrum or something, then she did not get it. But otherwise she got a little golden book that she got to take home and then we would read I her book. I love the golden books. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to, when I was a kid, there was a golden book that we had. And maybe somebody watching this, it went going up elevator, I'll go too. Up, up, up when there's work to do. Anyway, so so let's now. So, what kind of jobs did you hold? Oh my gosh! While while you were raising your daughter, um, I think some of my most interesting, enjoyable ones were. Um, eventually, I, my husband and I both worked at this place that we called um, the university because it was the type of thing that you could grow up within the job. You could put in job bids and get promoted and, and so forth. And I started out in the in the factory, they were a telecom company, young telecom company. And I would stuff resistors and capacitors and things like that in the board. And then I turned, after that, I started inspecting at the end because I was the pro at how to read the, the uh, polarities and things like that. Then I moved up into uh, final test, and then I moved up into manufacturing engineering. And that took me down a totally different path where I would go down into the factory and I would figure out the most effective and um, cost-effective way for them to manufacture the product. And then I would write the procedures for that and make sure that, that the special parts that I, think I figured out and all that were ordered and things like that. And then... I moved on from that to, um, oh, in, in between I was in quality assurance. So that's another way I went way up the ladder. Um, <clears throat> then I got into, I was there for quite, quite a few years, but I got into a position where um, they brought a man in, I trained him and they paid him more than me. And I held his hand through the whole thing. They paid him more than me. And I said, no, not right. You know, just because I'm a woman, you're, you're not going to pay me. So I left there and I went to another company that makes um, uh, medical testing equipment. They actually use the uh, fluorescence. I don't know if they still do that because this was years ago. The fluorescence from um, fireflies to the luminescence from um, fireflies to do their tests. I don't remember how that worked or why, but and the, the machines would run these tests too. So I was manufacturing, engineering, and quality control there. Then I took a little break. Um, around that time, oh, then I went to Jenny Craig, and I was a Jenny Craig counselor. I was, I was also part-time a Weight Watchers um, lecturer, so the Jenny Craig thing was a natural, natural thing to do. 
that was a really tough job because you had to work split shifts. So you'd go in the morning, then you come back home at night or during the day and go back at night. And you had to work the weekends when all your friends were off and, you know, but I did it. Uh, then I was a nanny. <laughs> and then I found a job at this place that repairs railroad cars. Well, being the person I am, I started out as receptionist, but I couldn't sit still. And eventually I worked my way into being one of their inspectors. And so I would go out and check welds on, on railroad cars, um, check them for compliance and things like that. Uh, once again, it got to be a situation where you're not treating me right. You're treating the men differently than me because I, I was always in a male dominated industry. You know, that's sure. who I am. I'll just, I'll go for it. I'm not afraid, you know. And I just said, no, not doing it. Um, then I then I ended up working for a place that um, is a union for uh, hotels and restaurants um, employees. And that was interesting. And then I ended up with some health problems where I quit work altogether. So uh, that's where things started happening. Because okay. then I had time. You yes. know, then I had time to start sitting and writing and thinking and you know so it's it's one thing you know everybody uh, tells the stories to their kids and grandchildren and there's always somebody in the family that says oh you know you should make a book of this uh, but not everybody actually does it yep. so now's now's a good time to hold up that book and brag about it and okay who published it Bluewell Press, and that's what I was going to tell you—the story of Bluewell Press. I, I, so, I'm, I'm help, Elaine. I'm helping you here. You see. Mm -hmm. So my husband kept pushing me. You know, you really should get that book published. And I said, I, I don't know the first thing about publishing books. And he, being the person he is, he's been in marketing his whole life and business. And he said, I'll I'll start a publishing company. And I'm like out of your mind and no I'll start a publishing company and he started out doing it like you know we invested a lot of money in offset printing we had a warehouse and he had intentions of bringing on other authors and illustrators um we had an editor we had a critique person uh found the illustrator and so we did it, everything just like a you know professional publisher and um his day job kept calling to him and making him offers he couldn't couldn't refuse and so he, he couldn't keep it going um but then well um so i'll show you the book by today's standards it's a long book because it, it was a long time ago but um and it's not the book that i initially wrote i'm going to do a blog post on that one day because the book i initially wrote was very simple and was meant to be kind of a gift book. Well, once these editors and critique people and all of that got in, got to it, they wanted to turn it into a typical book with, with an arc, which I teach, so I get why, why they want to do that. But um, it ended up doing one cool thing, which is it became a book within a book. So it introduces you to when Emily's at her grandparents' house, she gets sad and she doesn't want to go home. But then once they figure out what's wrong, the grandma gives her a, a homemade book. And when you open the book, 
the whole real book changes. The art changes, the language changes, and it walks you through things like when you see a garden full of happy flowers, smile at them and imagine grandma and grandpa's faces smiling back at you. You are the happiest flower in the garden of our hearts. And so it encourages the child all the way through to always make this connection. When you see the moon, think of your grandparents and we'll be thinking of you and birds and blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, it comes back to real life and grandma has a little bit of a problem, but Emily reassures grandma that she'll always be close to them. So it's, it's kind of cute. It's a really nice book. Um, I have uh, videos that kind of can help people to figure out how to paraphrase the book for the younger kids or how to do actions when they, you know, when they talk about the, butter, the butterflies and the birds and tweet, tweet, you know, and things like that. So interactive reading so that it can hold the younger kids' attentions. So anyway. When, when did the book come out? It was first, I think, uh, released in 2009. So it's, it had its uh, 10th anniversary not long ago. So, and how, 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 many, how many years did it take uh, between the time that you wrote or submitted the first manuscript? So this publishing house, it was a real publishing house? And you, sub you submitted it? Like, yeah. This was your publishing house? Yes, it was my husband. My husband started up specifically for this book with the intentions of, of, you know, growing it. And it didn't happen until years later when he quit work, he retired, and then he felt he had the time to do what he set out to do all those years ago. So, so Blue Whale Press is your husband's publishing house? Yeah. Oh, wonder, wonderful. Yeah. So, and, so now, well, and so now it's becoming, you're connecting with Clear Fork. Yes. And Clear Fork is a traditional publisher? We're both traditional publishers. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, what, what's the difference? When, when, when people run me through this, um, when, when people say traditional publisher, what's the difference between traditional publisher, hybrid publisher, I don't know, publisher? I didn't hear the third one. Because I, I don't have it. I don't have it. <laughs> well, of course, as you know, there's self-publishing. Um, or And now it's called independent publishing, which I don't like because small publishers like Clear Fork and Blue Bowl Press are also called independent publishers. So they all get lumped together and it, that they're two different ball games. So anyway, um, so with the hybrid publishers, they from what I understand from people who have books with them, you pay part of the publishing. It's a little different than vanity publishing where they charge you for everything, but you pay part, part of it with the hybrid publisher and, and they do all the work for you and they you know treat you like a regular publisher that you, you help, help contribute. Um, the small pub, independent publisher the only difference is, like in the case of Blue Well Press and Clear Fork, is we don't have the budget and we don't have the connections. We're not part of the good old boys club. And I think that's the hardest thing when you're a small publisher is because, you know, to get in where you get all these perks that the bigger published books do, you have to spend lots and lots of money. 
to get in. And you also have to go and schmooze, in my opinion, <laughs> schmooze people and get to know people. And, you know, um, and we don't have that. Uh, but as far as what's done um, in the case of Clear Fork and Blue Roll Press, we do print on demand versus a bigger publisher will do the offset printing like what we did with this book. And the difference between those is um, you, with print on demand, you don't have to have a warehouse, for example. Because when we first started Blue Well Press with Butterfly Kisses, what we learned was everybody gets the money but you. And it's really not much different <laughs> once you get beyond warehousing and stuff. But um, so, but we, we do editing. We do limited marketing because, again, the budget. Um, royalty, we do royalties, which are usually a little bit higher because the advances either don't exist or are very small. Um, and that's kind of the difference there between that and big publishers. Did I answer the question? It kind oh, of yeah, you, 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 answered it, you answered it very well. Okay. Um, so... What's incredible is that you published other people's work. In other words, okay, you say uh, we're not giving you an advance um, and maybe we're not doing the process that a big company does, but we're doing editing and we're finding a good illustrator and we're making you a lovely book and we're not taking any, you don't take money from the authors. No, uh, I have never taken a paycheck at all, period. Any money that ever went into the company went back into trying to do things like um, purpose reviews, uh, what little marketing we could do, of course, paying for the books. Um, yeah, we, neither one of us ever took a salary. We did it because, you know, we wanted, you know, I went through it. I know what it's like to try to get a seat in a very small arena with lots of seats wanting to get in. And we thought, you know, we can give people an opportunity that might not have otherwise gotten them. And maybe someone will see these people, see their, their beautiful work and find some interest in them. And we have had some luck with some of our illustrators. Um, they're getting jobs, they've been seen, they've been noticed. And so, you know, our goal was to launch people's careers, but it's a two-way street. You have to help launch your career. You can't just go, oh, okay, I, I have a book now. It's going to go on the bookshelf, and I'm going to just go on to the next one. You yeah, but even even, even the work. big traditional publishers, the agents, expect the writers to do a lot of self-marketing and promotion. Of course, yeah, exactly. And so, without uh, this, is, this is an incredible saga. Mm -hmm. uh, let's Before I ask you a couple more questions, uh, you sent me two very lovely books. Uh, one about the Christmas, mm -hmm. and this, uh, this little uh, uh, shrub of Texas. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, it was in Toledo, Ohio. Well, okay, but see, I'm, I'm Canadian and I live in Israel. <laughs> so for me, everything south of Chicago is Texas. There you go. <laughs> so it's uh, Toledo's in Ohio. Yes. In right. I'll remember that for the next time we talk. Yeah, okay. That, that's a very nice book. Thank you. And, yeah, Ellen, uh, you know, Ellen uh, Leventhal, she said, well, you know, I don't do Christmas. 
but I don't care because I love that book, <laughs> which I thought was really a nice compliment. It's a very, it's a very ecumenical book about, uh, you know, community and growing a community. Um, and it's lovely. And then you have that other lovely book you sent me about the penguins. Can, yeah. you, show, can you show people these two books? Sure. All right. Here's an old man. And his... What are we doing on this show, right? Yeah. Here's an old man and his penguins. And what I love, I don't know if you can see on the cover what Malanka did. Down here in the shadow, um, Jao's hat makes his shadow look like a penguin. So it's like two little penguin shadows. It's so cute. But anyway, um, this is a true story. And I just found out uh, recently um, that. After 2017, the penguins showed up in 2011 and kept coming back. And I could never find whatever happened to Dindon. And in 2017, that was the last time he came back. So they don't know what happened to him. But in August of 2020, there's videos and they're so sad of Zhao sitting on the beach, talking to Dindam and offering him sardines and saying, please come back and play with me. You can play with my dog. It's it's very sad what happened. But and this story, Elaine, of a penguin who, who, who comes back every year, thousands of kilometers yeah. to visit this guy, is it a true story? Yes, yeah, it's a true story. Now, scientists didn't believe that he was coming that far. Yeah, I'm a scientist and I don't believe it. Yeah. They couldn't answer where he was coming from, but, you know, but it's a nice story to believe. And he did come back every year. They, you know, they um, tagged him. So they knew that it was the same penguin and he came back every year. And, you know, so, and that's what it's about. It's about him coming back and leaving, coming back and leaving and whether or not he'll come back. And then in the end, we leave you with, with lots of hope that I probably shouldn't said that he ended up not coming back, but, um, I still hope that he's going to come back with some grandchildren for Jal. <laughs> so I don't know. Do you like looking at the inside too? Or Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, why do we have this show? This is one of my favorites. Just all the penguins. That's when Jal takes um, Din Dim to an island because he feels like he should be with other penguins. And then I love them all, but I also like the one where... Uh, and Din Din takes showers, and he swims with Jao, but he sleeps with his dog. Um, I like this one where Din Din's gone, and, and even the moon is sad. I just think it's so nice. Um, but I, I love the mom. Malaka Reardon did a really good job. Um, she also did... Um, she also illustrated Who Will Will You by Sarah Hoppy. So just to give you a little indication of her work. Um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, so Elaine, how many how many books have you published so far with the Blue Whale? I think I figured out the other day with the three that are coming in 2022, it would be 17. So I'm proud. I'm proud of what I what I did. <laughs> and 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 you absolutely should be. And how many other Authors benefited from your um, a generosity of spirit and were published on in, in your publishing house. So that wouldn't be 17 because we've got one that did two books. So, and then there, my three books, 17. 
or about 13, I think. So 13 other authors were published. Yes. So you see, it's a good thing you're on the show because people misunderstand things like this. This was this was your labor of love. Yeah. Um, trying to do the impossible. Trying yeah. to establish a traditional publisher uh, when financially it's almost impossible. Yeah, it is. And uh, and it's a lot of work, you know, when, when there's only two people running it because we do everything. We wear all the hats. We do the design. And we're very, 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 very picky. So when we do design, it takes a long time. You know, we have little family meetings. What about this font? What about that font? Well, do you think it should have a shadow? Should it not have a shadow? Oh, maybe this should be placed here. Um, I watch... I do all of the art direction. So I have the people send first their storyboard with thumbnails, and then I have them send sketches, character sketches, um, and then they do rough sketches. And then, and each time I do a check, I get it put into InDesign, I make sure there's room for the text and all of that. Uh, I watch the composition, I watch if anything's just not right or if it needs a little something extra. So I do all of that, do the design, do the marketing, I do, um, what do you call it? Uh, book trailers. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work, which is why I'm going to take a hiatus one. It's over. So, so let's let's now move on to the future. Okay, but we didn't get to show this one. Oh, let's show it. That's the one from Toledo. Yeah, that's the one from Toledo, which used to be in Texas, as in now is in Ohio. <laughs> And well, I, I, do, I do love I'll this. Explain, I, so I have to ask you, like, I really enjoy this book, but I'm thinking that this could not be called The Weed That Woke Christmas if the book were published in Los Angeles or New York. Right. It would be a different kind of weed altogether. Yeah, and there's been a lot of comments on that, a lot of joking. Uh, if you do a search for it on Amazon, you get a lot of weed products. Uh, so, Yeah. And I, I initially was going to call it Christmas weed because it was the Toledo Christmas weed. And, and everybody was like, no, I think of something else. I think of something else. So, and that's why I also added the mostly true tale of the Toledo Christmas weed. But okay, um, show a couple of double spreads, please. Okay. Love this book. Um, I think I sent you my uh, video of how Polina did the art, the inside story. Um, I really like that. Uh, boy, let me find that. I don't know what my favorite spread is. Uh, I think one of my favorite spreads is when the community all comes together. Yeah. And when they sing old Christmas weed. I think that's one of my favorites. Um, and another one. I love that. I don't even uh, do Christmas, you know. Right. <laughs> And when the, the storm comes, the two spreads when the storm comes are very, I feel like they're very effective as far as illustrations. Because poor weed, he, he does not make it. But anyway. Um, but the spirit. That's the whole thing. It's like it starts out um, basically where weed wants to be seen, but there's also that underlying story of, of the man without a home and his dog who are seeking kindness. Well, just as much as people aren't seeing the weed, they're not seeing the man. But once the little girl comes and she decorates the weed and, and then the other people see that she decorated it and they start joining in and adding to the weed. And this is all this part's all true. Um, 
the community started coming together and they started bringing more and more gifts. And in the underlying story, the baker, who is the little girl's father, is in the process of opening up a bakery. And then in the end, the man without a home is introduced by this little old lady that is throughout the book. She's kind of the pillar of the community, only in illustrations. It's not part of the story. And then uh, the man without a home gets a job. So it's uh, it's just beautiful. It's about caring, giving, being being aware because we're all so oblivious. You know, we walk around with our noses in our phones and and you know we just don't pay attention to what's going on around us. And I think that's another one of my favorite spreads. But that's also to go with the text too because it's uh, so. Summer warmed, we grew. Cars zoomed, people zipped and scurried, always in a hurry, but no one noticed weed. But here they also are not noticing the man who's asking or seeking kindness. And I just love that spread. Um, anyway. Uh, just from reading the book, one can see that you're a very kind person. Oh, thank you. But now here's the question, Elaine. And um, so... You are an author, mm -hmm. okay, and you've had these um, these successes. Shouldn't you be looking for an agent to take you to Random House? I should and I shouldn't. <laughs> um, one reason, I, I do sometimes submit, but not very often. I did have an agent, and it was not a good experience. Uh, I've seen friends who have had agents that were not good experiences. Uh, but I've also got many friends who have fabulous agents. And if I if I could walk up and get their agent tomorrow, I'd be doing that because, you know, I see I see that their agent is working for them. Of course, they're, you know, this is the way it should be because the agent's working for themselves, too. If, if their clients are successful, they'll be successful. But not everybody seems to either have the ability or maybe maybe some people aren't even in it truly to be an agent. I don't know what the deal is, why there's good ones and, and there's ones that are just fantastic. But um, oh, I, I found one I found one agent who's repping four books and she's written all of them. Really? So, yeah, there's all kinds of agents in the world, uh, but there's the ones that both you and I. We're not going to mention, but we, we would each, you know, give our eye teeth to have these people represent right. us. Right. And we also we also know that you have to be extremely gifted and talented and 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 fortunate and and be in the right place at the right time. Exactly. Um, and uh, after my career in self-publishing, and I also have a kind of an e-publishing house that perhaps we should talk about another time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm busting myself going this impossible, arduous route, uh, not because I, I'm fooling myself the chances I'm going to find an agent, I probably won't, but just in the journey to improve my own writing. Yes, that is I, motivation for sure. And, you know, why do you think you probably won't? Other people do find agents. This show is about you, but... Um, <laughs> It, 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 I talked about this with other writers. You know, there's there's a cognitive dissonance mm -hmm. that, that actors have and writers have and and uh, startup uh, entrepreneurs have that you know somewhere in your brain the chance is one in a thousand. Yeah. 
But you have to believe that you're that person. Mm -hmm. I have a note over here on my little whiteboard and it says something um, about 30 submissions. And I think I put it there probably, I don't know, a couple of years ago, maybe because I read somewhere that, that someone said, don't quit on a story until you've done 30 submissions. So it, the reason I have it there is because I'm not a good one to keep following up and keep pressing and keep pressing and keep pressing. Um, some of that's because I get myself too busy with other things. Um, you know, like Blue Wall Press, that was a full-time job. And then I do critiques on the side, paid critiques. And um, I have a course that, that I teach and sell. And, you know, so that's my fault. You know, I have to decide if I want to focus on writing and focus on writing. You know? That's because but, um, you're, you're good at so many things. Yeah. And you have to decide if you're going to be vertical. Exactly. Exactly. So, so as far as an agent, tell you, so Elaine, this year I'm vertical. Are you? Yeah, because I've been fired. I'm spending a lot of time. When I'm not doing You've Got Mel, uh -huh. I'm writing and submitting and getting rejected and, and working with uh, Harold Underdown and trying to improve all the time. So this is your first vertical, vertical year? This is my first. And before that, I worked with Mike Malbra. Yes, this is my first vertical year. And I, I would say that it, it's it, it's 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 frustrating, uh, but it's um, it's very it, it makes me feel young mm -hmm. yeah. because I'm I'm climbing mountains again. Yeah, and there's so, always something in front. To yeah, look so I mean, you know, for my for my two cents, you write so well. I would say you know, do a little vertical climbing, and and uh, there's manuscripts that I've submitted um, to thirty opportunities and um and that's maybe a sign to stop it's maybe a sign to rewrite to revise uh, mm -hmm. and you, you never know but um i have a feeling that my writing is improving and i would say if you can if you can do that mm -hmm. it's it's uh, it's wonderful yeah and uh, and and very few writers have have come have done your journey yeah very few and my, what I want to ask you before we talk about the Beatles is, so what is your advice, okay? So you have these thousands and thousands of people <clears throat> who think that they can write for children. Yeah. And maybe there's a thousand or two who can. Mm -hmm. And of those, a couple of dozen that, that succeed, uh, finding uh, agents, the good agents, and the big publishing houses. What is your advice to everybody? So I want to say that, and that this is not to minimize what those of us who have taken years upon years to be published authors uh, do, but as far as writing, I believe that anyone can write a, a children's book, but to write the right children's book, there's the difference. Um, you know, first of all, story choice is very important but craft is very important. It's so it's like putting a puzzle together. And usually when people start out, including myself, they get very impatient and they expect, oh, I'm going to get published tomorrow. Now, there are people that, that will come in public forums and give stories that that happened to them. You know, just like women talking about, oh, yeah, my, my second baby just fell out, you know. Oh, well, that goes, you know, young women thinking, oh, well, shoot, labor, there's nothing to labor. 
you know? <laughs> um, and it's the same thing. It's a long, hard road for most people because you have to understand the craft. You have to understand the market. You have to understand the industry. You have to understand yourself, <laughs> you know, um, and the market's ever changing. It's subjective. And I think those are really important things to know. I think just knowing that it's subjective is really important because maybe then you won't internalize it so much when you do get a rejection or you hear crickets. It's sometimes just the person, it, person didn't connect with it. Um, so, but my advice is be patient, do everything you can to understand the market and the craft, which read, but if you're not understanding why you're reading, that's what happened with me. That's why I started my course, Art of Art, because I was reading like 50 books a week, just reading and reading and reading. And, and I didn't understand why I was reading. I mean, I was figuring I was going to just pick it up through osmosis, but that wasn't quite happening. And so then I would take courses, but there were still things that weren't clicking for me. So I had to learn to dissect picture books and really understand what are these different structures and how, how does this work? And, you know, so it's, um, you have to become a master at what you want to do, but then the ideas have to yeah, stand but Elaine, up. there's no, this is the thing. Okay. Um, you are a, a, a complete self, self-taught human being. You became an engineer mm -hmm. on, on the job. Yeah, but most most engineers go to university and study engineering. If you want to be a physicist, you you if you want to be a biochemist and study luciferase, which is mm -hmm. that enzyme, uh, then you you, you do a, a degree in in biochemistry. There's no right. degree in, in in writing children's books, and uh, I think I think that part of the thing is the is the path that you yes. have to you have to you have to travel for yourself. And yeah. un until you're there, you don't know that you're there. And even when you're there, you don't know you're there. Right. Julie yes. Headland, on the other hand, says that you're always there. Her that name? Julie Headland, who was on the show, says that you're always there. You just have to appreciate yeah. that you're always there, that you, you've grown as a writer, which yes. is very nice. And one way to find that out is if you've been at it for a long time, is go back and look at some of your old work. Because I do that once in a while. I'm like, oh, I get it. Boy, back then I just thought I was all that. And, you know, and uh, even now I can look at work I did two months ago and go, oh, you know, because you put it away and then you can see it differently. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I can see what Julie's saying. I think, you know, because internal talk is, is very important for all of us. It's if we're it depends on where, what we're telling ourselves whether we're going to be successful or not too, and how and how we internalize you know how the where the path takes us you know we can either get back up on that horse and keep going and find a different path if that's what's necessary but if we just let it knock us down and go hide in a corner somewhere then we're not going to get anywhere. So yeah, so uh, the, the trick is really never to give up. Yeah. But there are, you know, um, for beginners, you know, people are just coming into the, the, the um, children's picture book writing industry. Susanna Hill's course is really, really good because it gives you all the basics, um, the structure and everything. And she has an interactive one where she will give you feedback. And I think when you start getting that feedback, that's when you start getting the light bulb moments. 
And that's when you also need to understand, and I know that you're, you're doing this, um, you have to get feedback. Not only because you can't see everything yourself, but you learn from it. You learn from if you if you work with other people and you give them critiques, yeah. you learn from what yeah. they're doing right or wrong. And you also get practice for if you get rejected by an agent or an editor because you're used to people giving you that constructive criticism. So you, you build up this thick skin. If you never do that and you just stay all by yourself and keep writing and sending out, you're not growing in that area. Yeah. So what, one of the things that bothers me, uh, the people I'm interviewing, including yourself, are too nice. <laughs> and I think what we have to do is we have to, and I, I've spoken about this, um, you, you know, we say when you critique, always give a compliment and then don't say this is bad. Say, I wonder, you know, if you... Uh, you stuck your head in a bucket for two months and then rewrote the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but I think basically there has to be some degree of, you know, this is not good. And it's not even, you know, we talk about a story arc, but many books today don't have a story arc. And um, there's so many other criteria. Yeah. Um, so what I'm trying to develop is some mechanism where good writers that aren't there yet can still have some some place on their journey. I haven't figured it out yet, but every time I speak to somebody as erudite as you, I get a few new ideas. Um, and this has been a great conversation, and I sure hope we'll continue it offline. Um, but you know, Elaine, that we end every You've Got Mail with the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought about it. about the Beatles? I did, and a couple songs came to mind, but then finally, um, my wedding song came to mind. It wasn't written by the Beatles, it was written by somebody, Meredith somebody, and it, it was from... Um, oh, Meredith Lewis, Meredith, um, no, Meredith Lewis, I know her. Um, so it, it was a man named Meredith. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, it, it's, um, it's uh, there were bells on the hill, uh, yep. until there was you. That's it. So shall I Meredith, sing it? Meredith Wilson, maybe? Maybe. And I did, I read that... The, um, the Music Man. The Music yes, Man. Yes, it was The Music Man. And I read that when the Beatles came out with the song, that the estate made much more in royalties then than they ever did from The Music Man. So, so I'll try. Listen, I, I was just talking with my daughter about that song. Were you? Yeah, you gave me goosebumps. Hey, yeah, yeah. See, we got those vibes. <laughs> yeah, um, my brother and his girlfriend sang it with acoustic guitar. We got married in our backyard, and um, wow, that was your wedding song. Yeah, and my second choice would have been something in something in the way you move. Yeah, no. Let's go back to. So I told him, are you still happily married to the same person? Yes. Yeah, and I won't even ask you. We've been together for 44. Well, our anniversary this year will be 40 years marriage. So, yeah. Well, can I wish you Mazel Tov? Yes. Thank you. Is thank you the appropriate response? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, remind me to teach you some Yiddish sometime. Okay. You know, with a name like yours, it's about time you knew someone <laughs> Mama Lotion. I think so. <laughs> and, 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 uh, one of the wonderful things about the writing is that it does bring people of different faiths 
uh, into a common uh, love of humanity. Yeah, yeah. So That's are nice. you going to sing now, Till There Was You? I am, and I cheated and did the words because I'm afraid I'll forget them. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't know if I can get rid of my old lady correctly voice, but there were birds, a bells on a hill. So I'm nervous, and I never heard them ringing. No, I never heard them at all. You can hear my nerves. <laughs> Till there was you. There were birds in the sky, but I never saw them winging. No, I never saw them at all. Till there was you. Then there was music and wonderful roses. They tell me, I can actually sing better than this, in sweet fragrant meadows of dawn and dew. There was love all around and I never heard it singing. No, I never heard it at all till there was you. And I still feel that way about him. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, I, I got goosebumps. This is like ah. the first, first time I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah, taking nerves, crackly voice didn't, didn't uh, get rid of those. Huh? You, kept, you kept this till the end. Oh, how about that? <laughs> about the Beatles cover of the song of your wedding. <laughs> wow. It's from, it's from a musical called The Music Man. Yeah. But it was still a good Beatle hit. Yeah. Elaine, yeah. this was remarkable. Um, thank you so much for being on You've Got Mail. And, and please um, keep in touch. We have lots of authors to help. Yes. And to be helped. Yeah, this is true. It's a, it's a wonderful community, isn't it? Amazing. Yeah. And look at how... Huh? I don't even know how many miles apart we are, but look how we can connect from all over the world, too. From, from Gunter, Texas. Yeah, all the way to Israel. Tel Aviv. Have you been to Israel? No. Mm -mm. Probably never will. That's my guess. No, you should. You're, you're, you're a Christian. <laughs> that I am. <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't like you, you, you were named Schwartz and you changed your name to Christian. No, no. This is, you know, this is the place where it all happened. Yeah. So maybe when this is over, we'll have a little like children's book conference and we'll bring everybody to the Holy Land. Wow, that'd be interesting, huh? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So, so listen, take care of yourself. Thank you, you too. It was wonderful uh, speaking to you and we'll be in touch. Okay. Thanks, Mel. Thank you. And you <laughs> sing wonderfully. Pardon me? All right. <laughs> Thank you. You can Bye. listen. It was great. Bye. Dear. <laughs> Don't Bye. forget to share the links to your books underneath here and to share the video. Okay. Thank and you. May, I will. And may God bless. And you too. Bye, dear. Bye-bye.